Are you ready to reach the mountaintop of your life? Do you want to turn your dreams into your reality? If that sounds like you, then welcome to the Mountaintop Motivation Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Mountaintop Motivation Podcast. Today, I am here with the one and only Sylvania Harad. I'm going to introduce Sylvania, even though he's going to be embarrassed as I introduce him because he's so awesome and does so many great things. Uh, first and foremost, he will want you to know more importantly than any, anything to him, he's a husband and he's a father. And uh, that's something I truly respect about him is the amount of time and energy he puts into his family above everything else. Uh, secondly, he's also a veteran of uh, which, which branch? I can't remember. Army. Army. He is an army veteran and what a wonderful thing that is. But also he's an incredible business person. Sylvania has created a business called Leverage. We're going to get all into what that is, but um, to hook you in terms of interest in listening to this, Sylvania has built a business where he brings in $70,000 plus a month with less than five hours of work a week. Yes, that's right. Not a day, less than five hours of work a week. And he's bringing in that kind of revenue. And uh, this is, this guy just thinks differently. And that's what I'm excited about bringing this to you, uh, whether you're watching this on YouTube, whether you are uh, listening to it on the podcast, either way. Uh, oh, it, no, no, not not YouTube, not podcast. That's what Sylvania said. He's saying, no, no, no. <laughs> Your wife came into the room. That's it. Yeah, that that's right. That's right. Um, anyway, let's jump right into this. Uh, Sylvania, so grateful that you're here. Thanks, Jake. Um, one, that was an awesome introduction. Um, hopefully that guy actually shows up on the podcast and has a good time. <laughs> well, I also believe in... Um, I don't do a whole lot of editing when it comes to this podcast. Like I'm not, I'm not doing like what Joe Rogan does talking for like four hours a day or whatever he does. But like what I like, like one of the things I like about Joe Rogan is like, someone will be like, Hey, I got to go to the bathroom. And it'll be like, Oh yeah, that's fine. You can go. And they just like keep recording. And I, I, I just yeah. find that to be so interesting. I think a lot of people would have cut out you saying, Oh no, no, like, or ignored <laughs> it or pretended. Yeah. But I, I just think that that's the life we live in today. That's the world we live in today. And, and I, I enjoy it. I enjoy that kind of thing. It's kind of the beauty of life, right? Like if we, if we sit back and think, I always look at it as like the highlight reel. So when I first met my wife and we went on our first date, I asked her for one thing and one thing only. I said, can we please avoid the whole highlight reel of who you are and just be real? Mm. Like just show up and just be you. Like if, if you know, like if we're going on a date and you know, you don't like football, you don't have to pretend like you like football. If you, if you, if you know, you don't like, you want to eat a whole burger, but you don't want to be embarrassed because you can eat a whole burger and I only eat half my burger. Don't be embarrassed. Eat the whole burger. Because mm -hmm. what I'm interested in is you, not the highlight reel of you, just you. Because here's the thing I don't want to end up happening is. We date, we have a good period of time. We get nine months, a year into this. And I realize I invest an entire year and I don't even know you. So yeah. let's just be us. So that's, yeah. that's what I think about all the time. Oh, that's so cool. And I, and I love that. And I think that today, like maybe in like 
the 80s, the 90s, even even that first decade of the 2000s. During that time, I think that there was a big benefit to um, only showing our best side, only showing our best side. And I think the reason why is because how would you even be transparent? How would you even show? I'm talking about in the business world, not not in individual relationships. And you see people who still have this belief. You see people who still have that mindset. Um, one, I always find it funny. I was talking with a friend yesterday. How many times you see the promotion, the promotional content for like a seminar, and then mm-hmm. you come and you go to that seminar, and that one, you know, there's ten speakers there, and one of them, you see a guy who's like, he looks like he's like fifty. <laughs> and then you show up and the dude's 70 and you're like, that's fine. I don't, I don't mind that you're 70, but why did you need to put that yeah. picture of you being 50 instead of 70? Because like, I, in fact, I want to learn more. Look, if you're still in the game, you're still doing great things. I want to learn about that wisdom. Like, you know, I had uh, last week's episode was Jack Canfield. Mm-hmm. And we talked about his 50 years of success in the, in mm-hmm. the industry. I don't want to pretend I don't want to pretend that he's 20 years younger. I want to talk about like, look, okay, this is going on now. You know, mm-hmm. we have the, we have, we have everything going on with, with closures, closures and shutdowns and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know what's going on now. Yeah. And it's such a different story to learn from someone who can say, you know what? We're in a really beautiful place because what if this happened to me back in 1992? when there was no way for me to still share my message uh, without mm-hmm. having a room full of people and to be able to hear that wisdom. I, I like that. And I like the idea of being genuine and being real. And there's such value in it in today's marketplace. It's, it's funny that you're even mentioning that because I, I had to sit back and think like 1992, like how, how do you get people in a room? Like, what are the things you have to do? Like, are you running infomercials late at night to get people to show up? You're probably going on radio shows. Like, think about the different ways you'd have to communicate in order to get people to show up for a message. Yeah. You had to physically write books and be able radio. To- yeah. Like, like, so this is what th- I know this from Jack, what he did before, because before Chicken Soup for the Soul, he was not famous, right? You know, he, mm-hmm. He didn't make his first million dollar year until he was in his fifties, but he was a full-time speaker from the time he was like 25. So he had like 25 years of being a speaker who was doing well, but he wasn't famous and he wasn't a seven figure earner. And so he was speaking, you know, doing seminars and the way that he did it was, yes, he got some radio play, but that one was a big, that one was a, was a challenge. He built a physical mailing list where he sent mail out to people, which you got to think about, like people complain about, oh, my, my price went up because more people went on that list. It's like, well, they didn't have to just get this list. They had to pay to send out stuff. So physical mail was a big thing. Partnerships with other people in a sim now is really valuable. Anyone else with a list. And then like, I mean, they did things like put flyers on cars. Like you're at like a, like you're at like a swap meet, you know, they're putting flyers on cars to get people there. It's such a different world. Yeah, that is. So I am truly grateful for the time we live in because we get to do something like, like what we're doing right now. This didn't exist. Like in order for us, one, have a conversation to be able to do things. I'm hopping in a plane, train, automobile. I'm going to a physical location. 
I am um, getting dolled up to go on TV or whatever it is to be able to have these type of conversations is just something that it's just crazy, you know, to think about. And then I think about like, what's going to happen 20 years from now? Um, when, like, what is that going to look like? Like, what is that going to, and that, that stuff fascinates me because yeah. it's the innovation cycle. But at the same time, it, it's kind of the, the duality of it. Because on one time, you're like, innovation is going to happen. But on the other element, you're going to have communications going to change. Like, how are we going to be connected? Is there going to be a communication gap? Something as simple as, Cursive no longer taught in school, you know. Like, like we don't teach that. Like, <laughs> if if the letters if the letters of the cursive word aren't in my first and last name, I have a struggle even reading it. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you know what I mean. Like, it's like they're it's not taught, or something yeah. as simple as like my kid, like they're they're in school and they're like, hey, you guys get Chromebooks, and you're working on your Chromebooks. And I remember when I was in school, I remember going to like a specialty high school. You guys get computers to make home with you? Like you were the super fancy kid and you're like, no, everybody's got a computer. So it's, it's, it's kind of cool watching how things occur and kind of how you're saying about that transparency yesterday. Um, my, my middle daughter, I refer to, I have three girls and I refer to them in numerical order. So I don't mess up their, their names or anything like that. So number two, she she's an artist. So she's always loved art, always done well in art. And she was sharing with me, like has her favorite class. So she had art yesterday. She, and we're asking her a question. She said, you know, why I love art because my teacher has tattoos and mm. she has, ta- she has tattoos like daddy. And I'm like, how many tattoos? She's like, she has tattoos that go all in her arms. And I'm thinking to myself, can you imagine 20 years ago, the scolding teachers would have gotten for showing their tattoos. You know, in junior high, I remember it, that there was a, there was one teacher. I don't remember his name, but it was like the big like secret that mm-hmm. there was a reason why Mr. So-and-so always wore long sleeve shirts, long yeah. sleeve button up shirts because it was so taboo. And yeah. like, because he had sleeves was the reason why, yeah. you know, he had tattoo yeah. sleeves and like the, the thing was like, I remember people saying things like, oh, I don't remember his name, but Mr. So-and-so, you know, he's a really good, he's a really great guy, but you know, he had a, he had a colorful past. Like that was like, the excuse was like, like almost like we're talking about him being like a drug addict. Now, now I don't know, maybe he was before, right? I don't know his background. I don't remember it, but they were talking about the tattoos as that was his past. We shouldn't yeah. judge him for his past as if the yeah. tattoos are like a big sign of like, I'm a gang member. It's crazy yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. If you're a sports fan or anything like that, like it's normal. Like it's a normal thing. And What's just normal in life in general now? I mean, so many people have tattoos. It's a, it's a normality. And so yeah. even, even in my space, I would, like even me, I'm thinking to myself, there was a period of time where I always wore long sleeve shirts. Because in like a professional it, setting or just professional setting. Professional so if setting. you're going to go into a professional meeting, you would wear long sleeve shirts, but can you just hold up your arms for context just so people can see yeah. what, what we're talking about there? What do you got there? So this is um, a koi dragon. So I have a koi mm. dragon, a phoenix. I love Japanese culture. So mm. Japanese culture is my thing to be able to be there talking about perseverance, um, rebirth, prosperity. Um, I, I love Japanese art. So I'm a, I'm a big Western or Eastern culture guy. But um, I would not, I wouldn't wear polo shirts. It could be a hunt. And I sweat in 70 degree weather. Mm. If we were out and we were on a golfing event, 
I would wear um, like the athletic things underneath. Like an Under Armour kind of thing. Underneath to be able yeah, to. Someone be asks about it and you say, oh, it, it draws the sweat off my body or yep. something like to that. Be able to be there. And then now I'm like, well, I'm just going to get full sleeves on both sides because it's that element. Like I love art. I love kind of, it's an expression of you. Um, it tells a story. So it's like your own personal canvas mm. where 10 years ago, that may not have been accepted. Where totally, now totally. You're, you're seeing different things where it's kind of normal. So it's, it's cool just watching how that, how that transpires and what may have been taboo a few years ago is now becoming normal and watching how society changes in general. Um, it, it's, it's kind of cool on both elements. Totally. Uh, back, back when you got those tattoos, was, was that a part of the decision process of why I noticed you have a quarter sleeve, not a full sleeve? Yeah. Was that a part of it? Was so that if you wore long sleeves, you still wouldn't see the the edges of it? I call it the unemployment line. So interesting. <laughs> so that if I was wearing a long sleeve shirt, I can roll up. So I what I did was I went and I I would I brought a button up. And so I would most sleeves have the button that happens to be here or yeah. like t-shirts. And so I rolled it up and I went to the point where it would roll up to. And that's where I would I stopped a little bit above that. Wow. That's interesting. So are you, are you going to, you said full sleeves, is that what you're planning on doing? Yeah. So uh, I'm actually going to meet with a tattoo artist, um, today to go and do things and be able to go there. And my girls are going to pick out what tattoos they want me to get. Um, because this one is personal side, this one's family side. So Mm. I'm going to let them pick out different things. And it'd be, it'll be cool. Like when they're 30 years old and be like, Dad, why do you have a poop emoji on tattooed on you? Is it because for <laughs> when you were six years old, you were obsessed with them. <laughs> like when you were eight, you were obsessed with pandas. You know, like 15, here's here's where you got like like it'd be cool to have like like when I'm a when I'm a grandparent one day and and they're going ahead and asking me stories about different things or different moments and be like, yeah, this is what ended up happening at this year. And this is what happened. <laughs> like, and being able yeah. to share those different moments, I think it would be fascinating. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. As I, am, I think it'd be cool. That that's, that's awesome. I love that. Um, what I, what I'd love to hear since you are a big fan of superheroes, I would like to present this in a different way rather than saying, tell us where you started, tell us where, how the business started, how leverage started, all that kind of stuff. I want to hear your superhero origin story. That's what I want to hear is a superhero origin story leading up to the business you have today. Uh, Okay. So I, uh, business for me actually started when I was a child. Um, since I was a child, I, there was always something I wanted, like I would try anything back in the day of mix CDs. So I remember, um, I would make actually mixed tapes where I would take, um, the most popular songs that I heard on the radio and I would wait, I would get a blank tape and I would wait around and the songs I would hear people sing, I would press record on the radio and then I would, I, I would turn it off and then I would wait until that tape was filled out. And then I would, we had a different machine where you could rec- record copies of a tape Yeah. and I would, I would sell those in school. Wow. Um, yeah. Until I got in trouble. Cause they're like, you can't sell on school property. Uh, <laughs> oh, it wasn't about copyrights. They're just like, you can't, no. they, they weren't, they weren't concerned about the legality of why it's, no. why it's illegal. They were concerned. You no. can't sell on school property. They were. Yeah. I can't sell things to like, I can't be hawking 
actual physical mixtapes. Do, do you remember a, a candy called Raven's Revenge? Do you remember, we're about the same age. Do you remember this candy? It was like a powder in like a vial. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It was. It was very much designed to have a paraphernalia feel. It was yes, very much exactly. the design. But it became in in my middle school. It became like the thing. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, there was like dealers, like people were dealing this stuff because it's in these like clear vials. And but yep. but it wasn't something that the school sold or the ice cream man yep. down there sold. Mm-hmm. And someone had an in with like their parents. Someone yeah. had an in with their parents. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was, but they had a wholesale deal that they got, or they just stole them and we just didn't know about it. But that, <laughs> that was the story. And then they'd be, they were dealing this stuff. They were selling this stuff on campus and everyone had it. And then they, um, they, they made a rule that you couldn't sell. And that probably was a rule anyway, but they enforced the yeah. rule that you couldn't sell. But then this still was going on like a like a little middle school black market mm-hmm. kind of thing was still going on. So then finally, they just straight up outlawed the candy on. There's just no Raven's Revenge candy on campus. Anyway, it just reminded me of that. <laughs> I, re- I also remember like, remember fundraisers and stuff? Yeah, of course. Um, so everybody did fundraisers. But I realized that I could go door to door asking people questions or I could go to my mom's job. Because I'm like, hold up. My mom works in an office building. There's like 500 people in one space and yeah. I'm cute. So I could just walk around <laughs> and ask people questions if they want to go do this. Can you imagine like a seven-year-old boy just walking up to you like while you're in an office space and be like, hey, I have a fundraiser going on. And she worked in New York City. So I could just yeah. go around and it's like, yeah, can you sign up for this fundraiser to be able to do this kind of thing? And, and I, can, I can win this kind of ridiculous trophy or whatever it was. Um, and I would go, I, like I would, and I learned how to sell in those moments mm-hmm. because yeah. of yeah. just being around and having those conversations. And I realized like what words would actually influence them to want to go do it. So I did that. I actually made like when actual burning CDs came out, I would like burn CDs. And that was just like something that I always knew that I, I wanted to own some type of business. So once I joined the military, um, and like I got introduced to, to network marketing and that got me on the train of understanding personal development and going through that process, it started me down a path of um, selling insurance. So I began selling insurance once I got out of the military and you're, you're, you're your own boss, which going from tell, somebody telling you when to show up at formation to somebody telling you when you can leave to somebody telling you we can go to lunch, like controlling every element of your life of uh, things to be able to go there to, I can wake up whenever I want to, to do it over like, like 20, I think it was 22 at the time. You're like, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> and so I started insurance to be able to go there. And man, I tried all kinds of different things. I remember I first got introduced to like Russell Brunson. He had this whole thing called micro continuity sites back in 2009. Yeah, 2009 um, is when I got introduced to like Russell Brunson, a couple other people. Um, um, There was a guy by the name of Oliver Talamayan that I had gone and got his course. And I just started buying courses like most people. You're just like, oh, I can create these little Amazon sites to be able to do stuff. And just like most people don't actually turn a profit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, totally. You spent a bunch of money, start spending a bunch of wheels. And then something finally popped in 2012 when I started. Um, I, I joined the John Maxwell team. Um, I hired my very 
first coach. And we began the whole process of like getting coaching clients through LinkedIn. And so I went through the whole process where he was like, go through, like, you're going to reach out to people on LinkedIn. Here's your virtual assistant. Here's how you do it. Here's how you go through these things. And man, I was churning and burning. So Mm -hmm. that's how, that's how, like you go through and you're like, just like in the, any comic book you have, like when they're a kid and they're learning their different things. And then all of a sudden they have this spark, this moment that happens to hit them. Um, I think of like, I'm not a DC comics guy. I'm more of a, um, of like a Marvel guy. Yeah. But I think yeah. of I, I think of even like Captain America in a way where he was just like boom and he's like at the like at the basic training be able to do it and he's just like getting there he's like trying to force his way into it and then he finally gets the basic training and that's kind of that phase I was in so I'm like I'm finally here with the guys I'm making money I have things going there and then you get burnout you realize it's not sustainable you have to keep this process you have to keep going through these different things. Um, I donated a kidney and I'm like going through all this kind of stuff to be able to recover. Um, and you have all these, and I'm like, this can't scale. Like, how, how am I going to, like, I'm literally replacing a job with another job. Right. So I moved from, I moved, I moved from that space to where I was like, what if I actually sold people the service that I use to actually get it? It's like, that's a lot more scalable. Like I can just hire more VAs to be able to go do it. So that's kind of how that process started. So I realized that not only that, but what helps them be able to more credible was um, publishing books. So not only was I, I was like, I'm looking, I'm like, hey, if you want to be able to get more clients, well, you need to be more credible. So I like help them build established websites. I help them be able to like publish books. Um, and you start going through these things and I'm starting thinking to myself like, hey, like what actually like, like Robert Cialdini's book about influence, like what actually influences people? Like, what are the things we're looking for? Like, if we go ahead and we hear, like, I remember hearing these, these ads on like TV and radio, like when you see all of like the number one movie in America, in what category? Like what category are we talking about, right? Like nobody yeah, knows, yeah. but you hear that, you're like, huh, maybe I should go check that out. Or like the highest grossing film this weekend. Or any of those kind of things, I started realizing that stuff to be able to be there. But that's when, like, that whole lesson around like optimizing time, because I realized, like, I'm spinning my wheels. I'm getting these things. I'm getting this process. I'm getting to these moments, and you're just getting exhausted. It's kind of like you're going up against a bigger boss, and you just realize you don't have the skills required to be able to beat that boss. And the boss for me was time. Like I wasn't able to, to to reach my full capacity because I kept running into time and it's undefeated. Yeah. So that's what happened to be there. And so I made the commitment. I said, all right, the next thing I'm going to obsess over, I'm going to ensure that I pour myself into that. It starts with that thing first, because I learned my lesson about the other side of it, because as I'm building and scaling and doing these things, because even like in the insurance business, like I had gone ahead and I got to the point where it was driving, it was doing stuff. I was making, I was making money. I had a bunch of agents underneath me, but it, it, I mean, when you have 60 agents and realistically only five are working, that meant that like 25 of them are just tire kickers that are like just wanting to call and hold your hand and have all kinds of conversations and don't want to sell anything. You're like, Oh my God, I'm spending 80 hours a week just talking 70 of those hours are just spent talking to people that don't actually want to do anything. 
Yeah. <laughs> and the guys that actually are doing something, they'll call me for an hour. Hey, I need this a total, maybe a month. Yeah. I need this. Can you help me get this? Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Hang up the phone. You know? Um, so, so yeah, that's what I, through that process is when I, like I got to the point where prior to building up to leverage is that I, I just learned from all the lumps and bumps and bruises. The only way I'm going to be able to do this is one is having a very strong community and two time had to be the focal point of everything because yes. if not, yes. I was going to run into the exact same ways that I had before. Yeah. I mean, that, that's like, I, I love hearing that origin story. Cause you're talking about <clears throat> when you're talking about things like, um, you know, having burnout in insurance, having burnout in that coaching, doing LinkedIn, like, look, it works. Like all of those things work, yeah. but like, it also takes a lot of work. It also mm-hmm. takes a lot of work. And when you don't step out, and I think that most of us through our conditioning of just normal society, we equate hours to dollars. So mm-hmm. if I want to make more, I have to work more. But that's obviously not true. When you mm-hmm. look at people who are actually wealthy, it's not that they are working harder or longer. They're, they're working differently. They're thinking mm-hmm. differently. And, you know, and, and for everyone watching, listening, we had just previously done uh, an open session with Sylvania with my rising tide mastermind. And as we were talking about things, one of the, one of the thoughts or one of the things that you said was you had a question. Now, Tony Robbins refers to this as the primary question. Mm-hmm. There's a primary question that we ask over and over again, and that shapes our life or it shapes our business. We have different primary questions based on what section of our life we are in. And what I heard you say was in this business, that primary question, the thing that you obsessed over was, how can I leverage my time? How can I build a business that leverages my time? And that's where leverage came. And is that where the title, where the name of the company came from as well? I use that word so many times that one person was like, you should just name your business leverage. Cause you use mm-hmm. that word all the time. Because if we think about anything else in, in, in life, like in life in general, it all comes all, all sales, everything comes down to leverage, like influence yes. leverage. That's all it is. Like if I go ahead and I, I think about it in general, like if making the obvious choice. So if, if there's two speakers and I'm an event coordinator and I'm looking at two speakers that's coming in to speak to my audience and I have one guy who's like really good speaker, but I look at his credentials and there isn't there. And I look at the other gentleman and I see that he was a best-selling author. He's been seen on these different items. He, he was a disabled vet. He's been um, a CrossFit athlete with, with two different world records. And I start seeing these things versus this guy is like, or he may have very good content. This guy becomes the obvious choice because his background has greater leverage than this one to influence yeah. the audience of what I'm looking for. So yeah. everything in life is down to leverage. Yeah, that that's fascinating. So tell us about leverage. Tell us about the company. Um, tell us what what leverage is and what the opportunity is for people who come and join the join the leverage program. Surely. So the best way I like to describe leverage is imagine you and a friend go to a car dealership. You go ahead, you look at the car, and what's the normal process we do? We go back to the room, we wait for them to go to their manager go to the finance manager and you get what you feel is a good deal on the car. 
Now imagine if you and a hundred friends went to that exact same car dealership, who do you think is going to get the, the better deal? You mm-hmm. by yourself or you with a hundred friends? So the concept of leverage is we utilize group buying power to drive down the costs of the goods and services that we use on an everyday basis as an online entrepreneur. So, which is traditionally software. So what we do is we, we utilize group buying power um, of our 3,500 plus members. We go to the, the software companies that we like to use. I go to them, I negotiate deals based upon our behalf in order to help save us money on a, on a monthly, monthly basis. Yeah. So yeah that's yeah. basically what leverage is. I'm leveraging things as well, Sylvania. Beautiful man. So, <laughs> um, that is such a cool thing. Where, like, I know that so much of the idea came from just leveraging, you know, leveraging time, all that kind of stuff. But where did you come up with this idea of, I, I can do this. I can find a way to bring group buying power together. Like, where, where did that come from? So, um, the thing I look at is, most of the time, the answers to the questions of what we're looking at is always all around us. We just don't know when to look for it because we, we have this limitation of belief that, it, that we can't do it. So once I removed that belief, it was unique. So I was in college and a gentleman that I sat next to for four hours every week for two years, we go out to dinner um, and we just decided to like catch up on different things. He was telling me he was going out to, he owned a bar out in like some type of Island. And I'm thinking to myself, you're a DC firefighter. Explain to me how you're doing this. Cause he also owned um, uh, like a construction company where he would build houses at one of the local lakes here. So I'm like, something tells me you think differently. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Like I just know how to optimize my time because I work two 24 hour shifts a week. So I realized I had the rest of my week to go do things. So he began explaining to me about um, him and his best friend, like how he started the company, how he started doing things. So his best friend, when he was in college, um, applied for a job working with a trash company. So most trash companies that if we think about trash in cities and stuff like that, if you live in a city municipality, that's done by the city. Most of other trash is picked up by a third-party provider. Mm. So he went and worked for this third-party provider and his job was to go out and get net new customers. So they told him his quota for the next two and a half months was to get 35 net new customers. He did that in his first two weeks. Mm. So they went back, they were like, wow, you have done something amazing. Um, Go out and see if you can do it again. So before the end of the summer, he signed up over a hundred plus and the owner of the trash company said, guess what? I'm taking you to the, to the local Mercedes-Benz dealership. Pick any car on the lot you want. Doesn't matter the cost. So the guy wasn't a car guy and said, honestly, um, these cars are nice, but I would prefer you take me under your wing and teach me about the business. Personally, I would ask for both. I'm a car guy. <laughs> like." Let me get a lower tier Benz and you teach me the business, but that that's not my part of the story. That's why I wasn't there. So um, he spent the next four years after he graduated college and other things, learning the ins and outs of the business, the, the tricks of the trade, the contracting, all the different things that happened to be there. So his only requirement of the gentleman was you just can't be in this in the same area that I live in. So he, he moved back home, was there. 
So he goes ahead and what most people don't know is that we, we pay a certain fee on a, on a monthly basis. So let's say the, the amount is 20 bucks per month. What he would do is he would go to new home communities because what he did know is that, hey, I know there's X amount of houses. I also know there's going to be new houses being built. So let's say there's a thousand homes that happen to be in there. So he'll go to new home communities and say, hey, congratulations, welcome to the new home. I am the, I am the local negotiator when it comes to trash. We found that in other communities, people are paying too much for their trash services. So what I've done in this place, this place, and this place is help drive down the costs of the trashes that you're already using. So um, all I do is I go ahead, um, if I get enough signatures, I can go to the trash company and sign it up. Um, no cost of you. Um, if I'm able to do this, would you be willing to sign up for this? And personally, there's going to be two things that's going to pop up. Naturally, you're going to be like, this is some type of scam. This can't be real. But when you go check out their website and realize that, hold up, this is the Better Business Bureau. You've already gotten approval from the HOA. This is legit. Like you have a card, you have all these kind of things. Okay, you're a real company. So that that knocks down that barrier, which he did because he had a real company car. He had uniforms. Remember all the things I said about leverage, like yeah. to be able to go there. Because if a dude just shows up in my front lawn and he looks like he just got out of a Toyota Camry and he's kind of disheveled, hell no, I'm not doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but he had a professional appearance. He showed up a very particular way. So he he would do that. So they he went around. He would get signatures. So once he had signatures, then he would go back to the the trash companies in the area. Because here's the thing, if you hold the contract, you feel like you hold the power. But if you're, if you're don't have the contract, you're willing to bid to knock the big boy out. So he would put those two in a bidding war. So he told the people that, Hey, if I get it for 18 bucks, would you guys sign up with me? Yeah. So he puts these two in a bidding war and they drive it down to, let's say it's $13. So what he knows is that now all these residents can sign up with me for 18 bucks a month. And I'm just going to pay the, the fee of the $13 a month. So he's taking the 18, taking his $5 profit and then paying the 15. And that's how he's doing. And in some elements, he doesn't even have to handle any of the transactions. People on the front end take the transactions and he just gets his cut based upon the percentage points of what happens to be there. So he started this process, repeated this process, repeated this process over time. He got a couple of government contracts because they found out because people live in the neighborhood. They're like, actually, we're looking at this service for, for this Air Force base. And then one Air Force base told another one. So it got to the point where the business was doing really well. He had four employees, by the way, four employees, mm-hmm. paperwork, processing, assistant. That was it. Like it was just him and he would go do it. So he gets to the point where um, waste management came knocking on the door and they bugged him for two years to the point where they sat a car outside of his house for a week. And I don't know about you, but that's super creepy. And you're just yeah, like, totally. People, like sitting at, like I'm calling the cops. Like you're not sitting totally. outside my That's creepy. And his wife was like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Just go down there and see what happens. So CEO flies him down on their jet, gets there, says, before you leave here, I'm going to buy your company. I want to know your process. I want to know what you do, everything. I'm going to buy it. Um, name your price. So he goes, uh, $50 million. And they go, done. Get the paperwork ready. And he goes, what? Like, you guys are going to give me $50 million? They're like, yeah, you should ask for 100 
And so, <laughs> and so naturally you think about it, like this is, this is a blue collar family, things to be able to be there. They have generational wealth. Now this is 50, this $50 million to be able to be there. He only had to sign a 10 year non-compete. So if he wanted to set this up, move his family to Florida or a different jurisdiction, he can repeat the whole process because he has the skill already. Mm-hmm. But the thing I learned about that whole thing, because I'm sitting there at dinner with this guy whose friend like helped him like do all this kind of different stuff, is I sat down and I said, huh, I wonder how that process could work for me. And so one of the things that my brain naturally does is it assesses risk. Call it from my military days. I can walk into a Jake, I can walk into a building and I know where the exits are. I can mm. see where shady people are when I walk into a restaurant. I'm a, I'm I'm scanning the room. I'm yeah. scanning different yeah. happen to be there because my brain just wired to assess risk. And I also do that in life. Um and so as I'm as I'm evaluating, I said, okay, here's the thing. Um if if I get sick or something ends up happening, I'm the sole incarnate for my family. One day, I like to have a contingency plan because it puts my my brain to rest. How cool would it be to be able to like at a moment's notice pick up the phone and call people? Because at the end of the day, relationships is to me is the wealth of life. Because if I have relationships and valuable relationships and connections, you can do anything you want in life. So I was like, okay, who are the people I want to be connected to? Because that's a real big question. Because you can be connected to a lot of people, but I want to be connected to people that are doing things, that are making things happen, that are creating their own way. And they're creating it online is what I care about. So I said, okay, let me figure out. So I went ahead and I evaluated and said, what's the tool that everybody is using that would be really critical? So it was Zoom. So I looked and was like, How, what if I can go negotiate this deal for Zoom and let me bump my head against the wall to be able to do it. And that's how that process started. And many cuts, bumps and bruises and things along the way to be able to go there. Because one day um, I look at it as, you know what? I want to have these relationships. I want to have these conversations. I want to be able to pick up the phone and somebody say, hey, look, I joined this mastermind. I think you should go do this and be able to be like, okay. Let's go do this because this is where my goal and objective is. Um, and I'm looking to create this process. And they're like, this is who you need to be around. And so everything started about, I wanted to have leverage in life because we don't know, like you said, that, that, that great question by, I don't know what you call it from Tony Robbins, but primary um, question, primary question. I'm going to write that on my board because that's actually gold, but that yeah. primary question, like right now in life, it's time flexibility to like take my girls to school and do that kind of stuff, take them to soccer practice. But that, that may change in six months where I go, you know what? It could be like, you know what? I want to have a massive impact to transform people's lives. And then you ask that question and you go like, okay, the one thing I do know is that in order to become better at something, I hire a coach every single time in life, whatever it is, totally. I'm going to hire somebody that's really good at doing that. And then I'm going to replicate and tell have them tell me what to do. So yeah. leverage has afforded me the opportunity to have access to those people um, because I'm able to, I'm able to, to, to give them something of value and give them of something that values to them, listen to them, care about what they're doing in their business, make sure it's helping them in a way. And that, that that's genuine. It's not just because I want to use you one day, yeah, but totally. um, 
but on on a on another level, Robert Cialdini talks about in his book Influence as well. Mm. Um, we learned it when we were a kid. Like if you give somebody a val- something of value when you first meet them, from that point moving forward, they they have that wider in their brain that you gave them value when you first met them. So they, totally. they will value you moving forward. Yeah, you know when with, here here's the thing that I think is so cool is you created a business where it's something that entrepreneurs need, like all the different products that you guys have um, deals for within within leverage are all things that people need. <clears throat> Not only are they things that people need, but they're also um, things that people are paying for anyway. And I look at it this way, I'm already paying for it. And if I mm-hmm. give you a little bit of money, then you make it so the things that I'm paying for every month are cheaper and I end up spending way less money over the course of the year than I would on things that I'm already getting. You found a way to make it so you can say, hey, come and do business with me. You actually save money. You make, you're already doing this. You spend less money. And by the way, I make some money doing it too. And that, that's what's so cool is that like you're making money, saving people money. And that, that's just, and if you can do that, I mean, that's the thing is, is what I pay to leverage to me is free. It's free yeah. because I'd be buying this stuff anyway. So when, when I first started out in sales, I remember having one mentor and it, I had the opportunity to talk with a gentleman that I was, I was working with and I hadn't heard this guy's name in forever. And Jack is, and so Jack was... Jack was one of those very unique cases. You either love Jack or you didn't want to be in the same like country as him because he was just that polarizing. You're just like, yeah. oh, you make my skin crawl. But Jack had no person's all good, no person's all bad, but he had some wonderful words of wisdom. And one of the things that Jack had posted in this big, huge placard that we had to see every single day when you walked in reminded me of like Notre Dame's play like a champion today was... Mm. He had big words that said value equals time and money. And he said, people value time and money. If you can save them time or give them more time, that's valuable. If you can save people money or make people money, that's valuable. If you can do both, you have a friend for life. Mm. So, so I looked at it and, I, and everything I try to do, I said, okay, is it going to make people money? Um, and what is it doing for time? Cause if we think about the things that we do constantly, like, um, it, cause we'll, we'll even spend money to save time. We'll, we'll, we'll do it depending on how we're wired. Like, for example, I don't mow my lawn. I'm, I'm able to, I'm able to do it. Like, it doesn't mean I don't have the skill set to do it, but I know it's four hours of my time. Yeah. It's four hours. Like it's going to be four hours just because how I'm wired, how I'm going to do it, how I'm going to edge things. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm looking at weeds, I'm pulling weeds, I'm doing all this kind of stuff. I'm checking the grass, seeing what we have to be able to do for four hours. But I hire a person to come do it every week. They do it in 15 minutes. So that actually, I make money by not doing that. Of course. Because Absolutely. Doing other things. And yeah. gave me four and a half hours. Yeah, that that that's exactly right. If you can do that, if you can uh, pay money to save yourself time, 
on activities mm-hmm. that you can be making more money on. I mean, it's, it's an obvious trade. Uh, mm-hmm. But but with you, just just give our listeners an idea. What are the kind of softwares that are within leverage so that they can save money on things that they're doing all the time? Let's think about the, the, the two main things I want to tell people, especially the business owners today. So seeming that last year we had one of the most massive disruptions anybody's had in business and life. And I look at it as the most amazing opportunity, kind of like we talked about in the beginning of Jack Hanfield, 1992, you're mailing letters, you were doing seminars, you were doing all these kind of things. Now we don't have to do any of that. Yeah. We have video communication. We can hop on video and have conversations. We can do podcast interviews. We can run courses. We can run trainings. We can do weekend programs all from Zoom. So Zoom is one of the things we're able to do where we typically save people around 40% per month on what their Zoom bills are to yeah. where they're a- you're able to go in and utilize a tool with enterprise-grade features. As you can, if anybody's looking at Zoom, Zoom's not slowing down. They're adding more features, more benefits constantly. It's the most stable platform. I've utilized other services and sometimes video is great. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's down. Sometimes it's not. And it's just the easiest platform to use because so many people are able to use it. And it takes away one more headache from limitation from getting people to have conversations with you. So if you're doing business and you're trying to do anything to scale, Zoom is the number one way. And then if I think about how we saw this happen two days ago. Facebook goes down. Yeah. So yeah. We, we look at it and we say, okay, when we look at mediums of communication, call it what you want to call it, email's not going away. Of course. Not in the next couple of years. I still get letters. I still get bills in the mail, right? Like I still get physical things, even though people say like, why are you doing direct mail or anything like that? Like I still get it. Like mail is still here. Electronic mail isn't going away. So if we're, if we're able to consistently email our customers and set up different automations and, and have different people and communicate with it, to me, active campaign is one of the ways to do it. So typically we save people, whether new or current customers, up to 30% per month utilizing active campaign. The coolest part about active campaign to me is that not only can I do things like text opt-ins, so um, one of the things you're seeing a lot of like high level people like Gary V or Patrick Beck David is they have this whole text me, text me at yep. this number. Yep. And then you opt into their series of things to be able to go there where they're able to market to you on text, because guess what? You may miss an email. You're probably not mixing it, missing a text message. No. And so active campaign allows you the ability to somebody to opt in. And then you can set up a text series of things you can be able to send them. And so I can send them texts. I can opt them into an email list from there. I can have them on standby. I mean, there's so many different things Active Campaign is able to do. And seeming that they're currently in a scale phase, they just took in roughly about $150 million of, of venture capital to be oh, able wow. to grow and scale their funds. I mean, you're, you're talking about some serious money where for 15 plus years, they didn't take anything. But mm. now they're at a point where they're like, we're going to invest. We're going to grow this thing. We're going to grow our platform. And that's after they already had a, a hundred thousand plus customers. So now yeah. that they're growing to a million plus customers, um, they take out the likes of like mail, um, um, MailChimp and you name them that happen to be their constant contacts of the world. That's the goal of what they want to be with a much greater and more robust platform. Yeah. So 
with those things are the things that I think of to be able to go there. And some of the things we have coming down the pipe is um, I want to have stuff like status at hotels. Because here's the thing, eventually the world's going to open back up and yeah. it'd be cool to have like gold status at like Hilton um, to be able to mm. have that. So all in- of the members have that. All the members to be able to have that to things like, hey, we got to buy things like laptops. So to have discounts at Lenovo to where we can go in or Dell to buy PCs. So I, the way I look at it and the way I'm investing things into is that it's not just like, hey, this, this tool we're using, but what's the holistic things that we're utilizing on a daily basis? And this comes back to like the service, like, like, like acts of service is my, in the, in the five, lung, five love languages, acts of service is my greatest love language. Mm, like if you I go do that. something for me, like that's my jam. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way I express love is I will go do something. Um, I think my in-laws love this because I'll go and they're like, Hey, I was like, no, let me take the trash. Let me go do these kind of things. But put me to work when I come here. Like that is love to me. Yeah. Um, and so I look at like, if you're a member, you're part of my family. So as part of my family, like, what are the things I can help you do so that you can go drive revenue, you know, like, um, I look at RGAs as kind of like revenue generating activities. Yes. What are yes. the things I can remove out of your way so you can go ahead and you can go do that? So if you don't have to worry about what tool you're using, you don't have to worry about what mentor you need to figure out. You don't have to worry about like, how do I get a better deal on a PC so I don't have to search around? That seems like a happy marriage to me. Totally. That makes perfect sense. I got a couple more questions for you. I want to respect your time. Um, But before we do that, if you want to learn more about how you can save money on things like Zoom and ActiveCampaign and other things that you're probably already using and spending money on, head over to mtmsuccess.com slash LVRG. That's mtmsuccess.com slash LVRG. Head over there and you'll learn more about it. But Sylvania, a couple more questions for you. One, you've been able to build this incredible business. And I think, you know, at the beginning, one of the things I said that I, I think is so interesting is you've been able to do this where you're now doing 70,000 plus a month in revenue. And you're doing that with less than five hours of work every single week. So what what is it that makes that possible? I think some people's minds are just blown by that. So give us just the the short version of what what is it that makes that possible for you? Plan. Um, a plan that you're willing to change on the fly. Yeah. Uh, so when I think about it, it came back to that primary question I remembered. Um, so yeah. <laughs> coming back to that primary question of I wanted to, I wanted, that was, that was the goal. Like the goal was to create that. And so maybe at right now it's five hours, maybe that changes to 20 hours, but the goal is there. So you have to be able to build out SOPs. So luckily I had, I had a staff member that was exceptional at being able to do that over a period of time that helped me build out those SOPs that helped me build out some of those processes. And so I would, I would tell anybody that like there's different phases. So I look at it as kind of like uh, let's call it grade school. So in our elementary phase, we're looking to get to one to 10, like actually zero to one, it's just getting started, like getting an offer, like getting some cash flow in your pocket. And then as we as we graduate from there to get to one to 10, it's like, okay, now I have an offer. Now I have to get comfortable like repeating that offer to be yeah. able to get yeah. there. Now that the offer has been validated, how can I get it in front of more people like that one to that, that 10 to 100K? 
And then from 100K to moving from there, it's all about processes. Like mm. you have to have processes in there. You have to be able to um, get out of your own way because you can get to a certain point and you can get there and it can be really good. But all of a sudden you're, you're like the cook, you're cleaning the dishes, you're in the front, like waiting tables. Um, you're, you're doing all these different things to get people in there. And so it was a clear cut that, okay, when I get to this certain point and I gain a certain level of operational intelligence, um, I need to get out of my way and make sure yeah, that I yeah. bring on people and I'm able to build my radar of how to hire people and let them go um, as time and things permit. Mm, I love that. And, and what's your last piece of advice for someone who says, you know what, I, I want to create a business, but I don't want it to... Um, I don't want it to, to rob me of my life. Well, what's mm-hmm. your advice for someone starting a business with, with a similar primary question to you? You know, first of all, they have to have that primary question would be the yeah. first, because most don't have that question. They don't, all. they say, how can I make money? They how say, money? and if the prime, like, this is the point of what the primary question is. The primary question is usually subconscious. You can mm-hmm. be conscious about it and it changes everything. But if we have a primary question, like, how can I make money? And if that's Mm -hmm. the primary question, that's the number one goal, Mm -hmm. then we sacrifice everything else for that primary question. And so then Mm -hmm. that's why we find ourselves working 70 hours a week. That's why we Mm -hmm. find ourselves doing those things. That's why some people find themselves um, doing unethical things because their primary question doesn't include, how can I do this in an ethical way? Uh, how can I do this in a way that serves humanity? How can I do this in a way? If they don't have that, they just say, how can I make money? Like I used to say to people when they say, well, my goal is to, you know, I used to, you know, I came from the the music industry in my first business and people would say, well, I want to be famous. And I said, what does that really mean, dude? Like there's ways to be famous and they're not good. You know, you can be on the news tonight if you go and do some horrendous thing. So like you, you have to look at it that way. And so what you're saying it's so important. If my primary question is, how can I make X amount of money per month? If that's the primary question, then I'm willing to give up my time to get there. But if the yeah. primary question is, how can I leverage my time and mm-hmm. make this amount of money without mm-hmm. having to do all this work? Now I have more parameters around it. And it's just asking you shall receive. You ask the question, your mind starts finding the answers. I would say the, the thing I would have to tell them this goes back to um, what I mentioned to anybody at, at like with CrossFit, because, you know, I'm a CrossFitter, so I have to mention it at least once in a conversation. Of course. Is that the difference between somebody that is new to CrossFit to somebody that has a higher skill level in CrossFit is the ability to embrace discomfort. Yeah. So yeah. if you have that primary question around, okay, how can I leverage my time to deliver X amount of revenue with this period of time? you have to be willing to go through the discomfort it requires to be there. So one, do you have a skill? So if you do have a skill, more than likely, you already know what to do. You've probably already known what to do to be able to be there. The problem is, is that we don't have the, we're not asking the right questions of of how to be able to do it. So I'm, I'm a practical application person. I'm pragmatic. And I think about it, like my sister was saying, like about, uh, she wanted to build daycares and be able to do daycare centers and different things like that. And I said, have you ever thought about like you've, you've ran daycare centers for 20 plus years. Have you ever, ever thought about creating a process of teaching other daycare centers 
about how to run a more efficient daycare practice. Mm. What do you mean? It's like your mind is wrapped around in order to, in order to be successful in my daycare, I need to have 10 plus kids or 13 kids or run this curriculum or do these type of things. So you're, you're tied to how many kids you have in is tied to your revenue versus consulting. Like if we think about consulting, right? Like consultants can get on a retainer and you have monthly things coming in to be able to go do it. And you're able to gain a contract. Let's say it's a year long to be able to go do stuff. So I said, now you're at this place where maybe instead of working, cause she would work 10 hour days, five, six days a week. And you're talking about 60 hours. Maybe your, your question is like, how can I be able to make the same money I was making in five hours? I said, well, how much are you making per week? Like, think about it. Cost per kid, different things to be able to be there. So, so you're making $1,500 a week, right? Yeah. Give, give or take the math. So 60 hours divided by 1,500. I'm not a math scholar that pretty quick, but that's not a whole lot of money like yeah. per hour that you're making to be able to go there. So let's make the math super simple. Let's say it's $10 an hour to be able to go there. So $10 an hour, you're working 60 hours. Uh, it's probably closer to 30, but um, to make it easier. So $30 an hour. Now, in order to make that $1,500, let's say I went and did consulting and I had five clients. They pay me $1,500 a month to be able to go do that. How much hours you're going in there? Maybe an hour a week. So you have yep. five hours that you just you just five x your time in those five hours to be able to be there. So we look at those those sexy numbers and say, oh man, all I got to do is five clients. <laughs> nope. What that means is now you have to do the work required in order to fail enough to get to five clients. Mm. You don't know how long that's going to take. You have to learn what words do I have to say? Like, what kind of things are they looking for? How can I test my offer? Like, what are, what are the things they're actually looking for? Because maybe this is what I'm thinking I think they want, but I haven't gone in and actually sat down with a, with a daycare owner. Like you have the intelligence from operating your places, but big, large centers, like what are their challenges? How many times have you been told no? Like how many different, and why have they told you no? Are you willing to face that music of going to, of like calling a place or cold emailing a place and them telling you, no, we don't want your service at all. We don't want yeah, anything to yeah. do with you or been fired by a place because they're like, we don't have, we have budget cuts because we don't have kids coming in. We don't yeah. think these things be able to go there and gone through that for about a year or two. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, and be willing to embrace that discomfort of that week by week and month by month and go through those things and, and have to take the time to learn, how do I get a better sales skill? How do I get better at this element to be able to be there? Because it's sexy to think about, man, if I just get five clients, things are good. Well, guess what? You don't really need five clients. You probably need 10 mm. because some of them are going to cycle through and they're going to yeah. cycle through. They're going to flow through different things to be able to go there. I said, maybe what happens is you get seven and then all of a sudden you get seven and now you can take this business and teach other people how to be able to do it. And now you have, you have, you have a different way to bring in other revenue because now you have a skill to be yeah. able to prove. So the net of it is how can you, how much comfort can you embrace? Because it doesn't have to be a fight. It doesn't have to be a struggle. It, it's, it's one of those um, 
in every CrossFit workout, especially really, really challenging ones that really tax my, like my nervous system, there's a moment that I hit in a workout where your heart rate's really elevated. I'm breathing really heavy and I stop and I have to smile because I get to do this. Ah. It's me every workout. It's sometimes sooner rather than later. And I go on, I'm like, <laughs> that's it. That's the wall. I yep. hit the wall and the wall. And that's when most people want to quit. That's when they're like, I can't do this. And all of a sudden the gremlins start coming in and you just sit there. And I just, I just laugh. It's like, I get to do this. Mm. I get to be, here. I woke up this morning. I'm here. Um, minus a bunch of swear words probably before then, but, <laughs> but, but, I, but I find it. And yes. so that's what that person has to be willing to do is to embrace that discomfort, be able to get there. And if they can hang on and be willing to adapt and be fluid, because I'll, I'll leave you with this one last nugget, um, in any hurricane that's ever come through any natural disaster, has it ever been reported on how many blades of grass were destroyed? <laughs> no. Never. What, what, what has been destroyed? Homes, cars, buildings, trees, etc. What does the grass do? Fluid. Comes back up. You walk mm. on it, it goes back down. But solid, stern structures, they, they fight it. They're rigid. They try to, they, like, it, enough wind or different things go there. And so I like to be more like grass where it's like when you're going through those different moments in, in business and you're trying to be able to be there, like you can go with the wind and come back up people, different things step on you. You're able to come back up. And, and as long as you're, you're being watered and you're getting sunlight and you're feeding yourself all the good nutrition, more than likely you'll be fine. Mm, I love it. Savania, I could talk to you forever. Uh, we got to respect your time and also the time of those listening. Um, for those of you listening right now, if you don't want to find out more about leverage and how you can save money on uh, programs like Zoom, I use this every single month, pay for this every month, and I save money every single month, head over to mtmsuccess.com slash LVRG. Savania, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being here. Same to you, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you got something great out of it. I hope that you enjoyed it. And most importantly, I hope that you found something that you can apply. Success is not given to just the talented or the lucky. Success is given to those who are willing to take action. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody else who would enjoy it. And if you would like all five parts of the number one goal, five part fundamental video series, head over to your number one goal.com. That's all spelled out your number one goal.com. Thanks so much for listening. This is Jake Valentine with mountaintop motivation, and I will see you at the top.